A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We are recording this on December 1st of 2021. I can't believe we're already in December. Our guest today is the one, the only Philip Hamilton, a criminal defense attorney and a civil rights attorney from New York City, a friend of the show. Welcome back, Philip. Anna, thank you so much for having me back. Couldn't pick any better place to be on this December 1st. So good to be with you. Great to have you. Uh, We have some insane stories today. These cases are, I think, about people who make real bonehead decisions and then double down on them instead of trying to fix what they did, right? (laughs) I feel like that's the theme here. I couldn't put it better. That's why you're the host. I mean, thematically, (laughs) that's it. That's it. All right, let's let's get the headlines of the cases and then get right into it. A New Jersey cop is arrested after allegedly hitting and killing a pedestrian with his car. He allegedly left the scene. Oh, but he took the victim's body with him. Yes, rather than leaving behind any evidence, this man, this cop who was off duty, allegedly grabbed the victim, scooped him up. This is a nurse that was killed in in this hit and run and and put him in the bo- put him in the back of the car and then the cop drives to his mother's house to figure out what to do next okay okay <laughs> you, you don't want to laugh at these things but i mean jesus go ahead it's you know And I'll just give you one more other headline. This cop, his father is a cop. And his father is the one who calls the cops to tell him about his son with the dead body in the car. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But if that's not crazy enough, we have another one. It's like everyone is on board the crazy train this week, right? Everybody, everybody. Listen to this case out of Florida. A pregnant librarian in Florida has been gunned down in front of her home by an angry driver. It is believed that the pregnant woman bumped a man with her car. The man was on a motorcycle and didn't stop. Some people are calling what she did road rage. So then the guy on the motorcycle and two other guys who were witnesses decide to follow her to try and stop her to get her information. They follow the woman all the way home. She goes into her house. She gets a gun because there are three strangers on her property who have been following her. And when she comes out with the gun telling them to get away, the motorcycle guy pulls out a gun and he says he shot her in self-defense because she pulled a gun on him. This woman is dead. No one is charged. The whole thing is crazy. It's unbelievable. Where did it happen? Florida. (laughs) Not that unbelievable. (laughs) Not that unbelievable. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, okay, here here are the details. And then, uh, Philip, I, I really, I mean, I think things went wrong several times here, um, especially when you make the decision as an individual to follow another individual to their home. There, you, you could have just called the police, right? You could have gotten the license plate and have called the police. You could have even followed to the house and called the police with the address and not, I don't know whether they went on the property, we're gonna get into that. It's all very, very strange. A lot of bad decisions here. Terrible decisions, just all day we'll be talking about. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's do some of the, a little bit of a deep dive here on this case. This happened in Orange City, Florida, which is between Orlando and Daytona, and it happened on a Saturday, November 20th, a little after five in the afternoon. Police say that they were responding to a report of a hit and run, and that here's how the call came in, that a driver of a Kia reportedly hit a motorcyclist in traffic and failed to stop. So that was the initial call that's coming in to police. So the Orange County, excuse me, the Orange City Police Department has said without question 
and I'm going to ask you, like, how do we know these facts? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that it was the pregnant woman who was the aggressor. Okay. I guess because those are the calls that came in and the the other people saw this. Police say that the driver of the car, 35-year-old Sarah Nicole Morales, intentionally hit the motorcycle. Police have identified the person riding the motorcycle as 40-year-old Andrew Durr. And they were on North Volusia Avenue, which is a four-lane roadway. Here's the thing. The rider of the motorcycle was never knocked off his bike, didn't lose balance, was not injured because, as we will hear, the 911 calls to police from other witnesses when dispatch says, is he okay? Is he hurt? Did he fall down? Oh, no, he's fine. That's the quote. Oh, no, he's fine. Now, I am not saying that Sarah Morales didn't intentionally hit the motorcyclist. We don't know. That is the report that we're getting from the motorcyclists and the witnesses. And we all know people are driving crazy these days. I swear to you, if one more person cuts in front of me, (laughs) I don't know what's going on in LA. Everybody's lost their mind. So is that important to this, Philip? The fact that he is not injured or knocked off his bike? I think it's very important in the sense that, number one, at least with respect to Ms. Morales, to your point earlier, if he just calls the police, he has a pretty solid reckless endangerment case, right? Like he was never hurt. He was never, as we noted, knocked off the bike or anything along those lines. But certainly he would have been in the right, and it's corroborated by witnesses, to get law enforcement involved and have her held accountable for her action at the time, right? Which is what we sound, I mean, what we hear to be pretty typical case of road rage. Um, And, you know, not to, again, you know, kind of involve Florida, but as concerns Florida, this sounds relatively, you know, normal, right? As we understand those roads down there as well. So to the extent that we have that, if he would have just called the police, we're good, right? I think she's ultimately arrested. I think she's held accountable. But to the point that you and I are now talking about her death on her doorstep, over whatever he may have done in traffic to anger her and have her bump him. Is it worth it? Is it worth your life? No. I don't think so, man. No, absolutely not. I mean, this is something that just went too far. No one, I think, when all of this was unraveling and it only happened within a few minutes and within a few miles of each other, I don't think anyone ever saw that someone would end up dead at the end of this. I mean, this is a horrific, horrific tragedy. So... Here's the, the, the thing that's interesting to me, Philip, and I don't know, you know, again, no charges have been filed here. And I don't know if, they were, if there will be, and maybe they're still looking for more surveillance video. But here's what I find interesting. So calls have come into 911 about the incident. And as part of it, the witnesses, the callers to 911 are saying, and we are following her, right? right? So now the police know that they have witnesses following this person. Right. How do you think, what, the fact that this is no longer in question, meaning they have already told the police on a recorded line they are following the woman, and this ultimately leads to death? It's crazy. But I think to the extent that they're following her, so then when we start to think about what ultimate charges could come, we can, you know, theoretically think into her mind, peer into it, see that maybe when she got home, like you said, she's nervous. These people are following her. That's corroborated, right? She gets home. She doesn't know what these people are going to do. Maybe in her mind, she understands her malicious actions a little bit earlier whenever she hit the guy. She's nervous. The way I'm looking at the story, we're going to have to wait to see more facts come out, but it just seems like if we're to look at it at surface level, she comes out of the house maybe wanting to scare him or just get off of my property, right? And the minute that he sees the gun, this is when we start implicating, you know, Florida's stand your ground law, which has been, you know, discussed ad nauseum in the media with a lot of the recent cases over the years. You know, he fires to the extent that there haven't been any charges at this point. All I can say is I'm not surprised. We've seen these investigations sometimes not just take weeks, but months, particularly down there, whenever the you know law enforcement agencies are trying to determine, do we have a case of criminal action? 
or don't we? And always remember in Florida too, sometimes before you're even able to go to trial or plead a case, there's a hearing to determine whether or not there's even enough evidence on the law to go forward on a manslaughter or to go forward on a murder because of how just embedded the stand your ground law is within Florida law. So, I mean, if you're asking me just from the standpoint of, am I surprised the charges haven't been filed? No. Would I be surprised if charges aren't filed? No. Is it a really sad state of affairs that we are dealing and talking about a woman being dead off of a minor fender bender? It's, it's horrible. It, 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 you wake up, you don't think that's going to be your last day or that's going to be the way that you go out because of, you know, some misunderstanding about a fender bender. It's crazy. But Philip, wasn't she then standing her ground if she's physically on her property and she has strangers on her property or in front of her property following her? Is she not the one who's standing her ground? Yes, right, in many respects, because she has every right to come out and protect her property. But that's when we start to get into this cyclical, it, it starts to turn into the Wild West. Florida being as East Coast as it gets, it goes back to when we start to get into these stand your ground type laws, we're back in the 1850s, right? Who draws first, no matter what ultimately the underlying reason for the conflict was or why we're pulling guns out. Once a gun is pulled out, even to the extent that you have the right to pull it out, does that then mean that the person that you're pulling out against doesn't potentially have a right to pull out a gun on you? Because maybe the reason why you were pulling the gun out wouldn't have been a situation that called for the use of deadly force, even if you think that it was. So the secondary person, i.e. this person on the motorcycle, would have the right to pull the gun out in that kind of a situation where she didn't have the right to pull the gun out and use deadly force. But to the extent that he thinks that she was going to, this is kind of the cyclical nature and just sometimes the dangerous precedents that are set with respect to those kinds of laws where everybody's taking the law into their own hands, you know, with guns. Right. So, you know, and some of this was captured on audio while on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. We don't know what other cameras may have picked up anything else. We do have a body cam uh, from one of the uh, first officers to arrive that we're going to play that for you, too. But I want to continue to set the scene so you all can weigh in and, you know, tell us what you think. What, you know, what happened here? You know, who, who made really... There are a lot of bad decisions all around here. A lot of bad decisions, but none of them should have ended up with someone dead without question. So police say that the motorcyclists and the witness did try to... And the witnesses tried to stop Sarah in the Kia at the very next intersection from where this alleged incident happened. Police describe it this way, quote, they made verbal contact, but Morales reportedly ignored them and kept driving. Okay, I'm not saying, I don't know whether that was right or wrong. I, you know, I, I, I hear you. I mean, if the motorcyclist felt like he was endangered and he's like trying to say, hey lady, okay, so there's that. So Andrew Durr, he's the guy with the motorcycle, and two other witnesses who are men continue following Sarah. And, and it's like a posse. I mean, honestly, it's like right. a posse following this woman. And they're on the phone to 911 while they're following her. Again, they could have stopped here, but they didn't. So they follow the woman to her house on Wisconsin Avenue, which is just about a mile from the scene. Okay, now here's the other thing. Police just recently release this information. She, Sarah, called 911 and said that she was being threatened and harassed. Okay? So from her perspective, this is what's happening. From their perspective, right, It's everyone is feeling threatened and for different reasons. <laughs> and everyone's calling 911 to tell 911 that they are threatened. Right. Okay, so then police say Sarah went inside her house when she got home and she came back outside with a gun and she confronted the motorcyclist and the two men. Meanwhile, the two men, one of them is on the phone with 911 when she does this. So we can hear her yelling at them. Morales allegedly pointed the gun at the motorists and the witnesses. What is unclear to me is where they were if they were on her property. Because when we look at the body cam video, I'm going to ask you to figure that out. Because I think that's going to be very important um, in all of this. So she allegedly pulls out the handgun and yells at them. And then the motorcyclist pulls out a gun. He has a concealed weapons 
permit. He can carry a concealed weapon on his body. It is completely legal for him to have a gun on him. He pulls out a gun and he shoots her. He claims that she was going to kill him. So he fires. She's declared dead at a nearby hospital. Unbelievable. And all of this is captured on the 911 call. Um, Police have said that Andrew Durr has been cooperative with the investigation, that it's ongoing, and he made clear from the very first body cam that he was threatened and that he thought that she was going to kill him. He, he made all those declarative statements. Okay, let's get to the 911 call. So um, at times it can be a little hard to hear, but here's the amazing thing, that the 911 operator, <laughs> here's the crazy thing, you can actually hear the 911 operator calling the witness. <laughs> right? She calls back to see what's going on and where they are. And by doing so, here's this insanity unfold. So you can hear Sarah screaming. She says, in case you can't hear it, you are three men. You followed me. Leave me alone. And then you hear the gunfire, but it's not her gun. Right. It's the motorcyclist. Listen to the 911. They're already on the phone. All right, thank you. What's that? A man lady now, You have to pull the gun on. I I Did somebody get shot? Yes, ma'am. Let me shot. Uh, did pull a gun out on each shot here in the same self defense. Okay, Philip. It's like seven to eight shots, and and you can hear one of the witnesses saying she pulled a gun on me, which sounds like it's the motorcyclist, and you hear the nine one one operator say, "Who shot the lady?" And the the person, the man on the other line says, the lady is shot. Dude on the bike shot her in self-defense. Dude on the bike. Uh, man, you know, this is what, this is the consequence, right? And I'm not, we're not getting into a debate on, you know, gun control or anything along those lines, right? No. But to the extent that we, you know, want to exercise the Second Amendment rights and to the extent that ultimately, you know, a lot of us or a lot of the gun owners, you know, what do they always say? This is for my protection. It's to protect my family, to protect my homestead. This is a consequence of it, right? And it's a very unfortunate consequence because when you listen both to the 911 call, when you listen to the witness accounts, I mean, Anna, you and I can both sit here and I think we can both genuinely believe both parties at that moment felt threatened. She, of course, felt threatened, as she noted. Three men following me all the way home in traffic. You know, I go into my house. They're still here. I don't know what they're going to do. Let me go outside. The police aren't here yet for me having called 911. Let me, you know, try to exercise some control over my property and end this. Meanwhile, by means of her doing so, it scares him. When she pulls out the gun, then he pulls out fire. She's dead, and it's just like... Uh, like this is the reason why sometimes we have to have those mediators, otherwise known as law enforcement, right? The professionals to kind of come out and deal with these situations because they can get tense real quick. And by the time you're sitting back having regrets or wanting the second, you know, guess a decision, we have a dead woman. Right. Wouldn't doors. it be better just to argue with the police and the insurance company over what happened that day instead of face this for the rest of your life? This, you know, and... And so the mother, her mother, comes out screaming. You hear that on the 911 call saying, what have you done? My daughter was pregnant. I, you know, so the, so the woman's own mother is inside the house. It's just, it's, it's horrific. I want to move on to the body cam video. Um, because in the body cam video, we're not, you know, it's not going to shed any light on, on really what happened in that moment. But what it does shed some light on is... Um, where the motorcyclist is and what he says to police when they arrive, right? And all those things are going to be important as far as figuring all this out. So, um, 
the the police body cam is from the first responding officer and you can hear someone as she's walking forward with her gun drawn you can hear someone off camera and then ultimately you will see the person i'm just lining this up for everybody because some of you are listening and some of you are watching okay so you can hear someone off camera say that girl tried to kill me she pointed a gun at me she tried to kill me i'm so sorry so sorry she tried to kill me so he's setting up his defense at the very top there and you know what that he may very well have felt that way i'm i have no idea all I know is this is a really bad situation for everybody. Just Correct. bad. Correct. Okay, so here's, here's the clip. We're going to play it for you now. And you can hear the officer ordering the guy on the motorcycle not to move. And he's telling her, I will not move. Let's play the clip. Do not move. I'm not moving. Stay right where you are, okay? Please don't shoot me. I'm not going to shoot you. Just keep listening to what I'm telling you, okay? I'm going to move. What's your first name? Andrew. Okay. That girl tried to kill me. She pointed the okay. gun Okay. All right. Just relax. It's a gun to the left. She tried okay. to kill me. Relax. This officer's going to come right. around. I'm so sorry. Relax. I'm not moving. I'm not okay. moving. You're good. Please. I'm not moving. I'm so sorry. She tried to kill me. And those other people are armed too. They had guns too. So what is unclear, Philip? from this video is if the motorcyclist was on public or private property when this shooting took place. Because when the cops come toward him, you can see him down on the ground on this dirt road and you see a mailbox not far from where he is. Generally, mailboxes are kind of on the more pri- on, on the public road, right? right. So... What, if anything, can we figure out from this? Just because that's there where the, when the, just because he's there when the cops arrive, we do not know where he is in relation to Sarah's body, correct? Right. And, you know, earlier, you know, maybe just even in jest when I'm saying we have a woman dead on her doorstep, you're absolutely right. And I can't see the body. All I can see is that he seems to be at some general distance from the house, the structure that I see on the land. So to the extent that he's, you know, Sarah's having this discussion with these three men about get off my property, right? And, you know, this ends here essentially probably is where she was going, please leave. To the extent that she then at that point is just showing the gun, (sighs) to be at that far of a distance, it does call into question just at what level of danger where you at but to your other point anna and where the law ultimately stands to the extent that he can reasonably articulate that he felt that danger he's in a pretty good position and as you noted from the inception whenever the officers were approaching him when he was on the ground he was being very clear and trying to express his mental mindset and as a criminal defense attorney if i'm looking at that video later on I'm not really mad at anything that he's saying or questioning him about why did you say this or why did you say that? Because whereas you generally just don't want to make statements as all at all as a criminal defendant, if you're going to make them, the statements that he made in consideration of what the law is in Florida, they're not bad statements. And when you're dealing with a situation that in many respects is going to be his word versus her word, granted, I know we have the two witnesses as well, but his word is the one that's still here. Hers isn't. Right. So in many respects, with us not having video of the actual shooting, you know, there's going to be a lot of you can almost say like benefit of the doubt that will go his way, at least is where I could see things going based upon what we know thus far. I mean, of course, anything could come out. Philip, does it matter whether the shooting took place on public or private property? Because it looks like it's a pretty big piece of land and the house is set back. So my question is, if these three went so far as to literally go to her door did that change everything and then did they go too far but for the fact that we know at least as corroborated from all these witnesses on the road that she potentially committed a crime then we have to start to kind of get into well were they trespassing or were they not right and to the extent if they're going to get information in regards to the crime that had occurred which is either the reckless endangerment the hit and run, whatever you want to say that she potentially did back on the road, 
it doesn't really make it as black and white as to whether it occurred on private property or whether it didn't, because they may have had a license at that juncture, at least arguably, to go and try to discuss with her, hey, you hit me. I need your insurance information. I need you know, some information such that we can talk to law enforcement about getting this resolved. And to the extent, even if the shooting then occurs on private property, it's not a full tell in terms of, well, if it was on her property, then automatically he's guilty, right? He has no claim to self-defense. That would be a wrong application of law because even on the private property, he could still have that claim in terms of standing his ground if he had a right to be there. And based upon the information that we're hearing about, you know, the potential hit and run, you know, he can always argue that that's why he was there. He wasn't trespassing for any illegal reason. But how much easier would it have been, even if they could have stopped themselves so many times before we got to this deadly conclusion, even if they followed her home, they could have stayed on the public road. They could have not entered her property, which we don't know whether they did or not. At this point, they have her drivers, they have her uh, plate, right? They have right. her car plate, and now they have her address. What more do you need? Let the cops handle it. You know, what I have done, and I'm sure over the course of just even hosting the show, Anna, and being so you know involved in these cases, what you come to learn, particularly as a criminal defense attorney, probably about five, six, seven years ago, I just stopped the process of trying to second guess all of my clients' decisions, right? Because to the extent that they hadn't made them, I wouldn't be in business, right? Like it, <laughs> it, it becomes just almost torturous at times trying to think why you didn't make this decision or why couldn't you have just said that or why didn't you say that? I mean, to the extent that they did, we wouldn't be talking about it and it would be great if we weren't, but the fact of the matter is they all made terrible decisions that will affect the rest of their lives. And unfortunately for one of the individuals involved, their life came to an end. And it's just, it's sad. Oh, it's just, oh my, it's just the tragedy of it all is so horrible. So there are several reports that Sarah Nicole Morales was about four to five months pregnant when she was killed. And it was her mother who you could hear on the 911 call saying, my daughter's been shot, she was pregnant. I think we're still waiting on some autopsy reports here. Sarah, the victim here, was a mother of an 11-year-old girl. So that girl, it's unclear whether she was in the house or not. I may have witnessed this, but she for sure does not have a mom. Mm. And, you know, Sarah was engaged to be married. I just, I just don't get any of this. It's not Gosh. worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Like, these are the kinds of situations, even if ultimately... As we're saying, you know, to the extent Andrew walks away from this um, without any criminal liability, I mean, of course, number one, he's opened himself up to civil liability for this. But even oh, to the extent sure. that he walks away without going to jail, it's just a decision that, like, for the rest of your life, you have to look back upon, and and you feel that weight that you took a life over an accident where you really didn't even get hurt, right? You mm -hmm. didn't fall off your bike. Understandably, you're frustrated about the situation. None of us like to be in situations where someone's hitting our car. They don't leave a note right? Or if we're on the road, someone does something to us, they could put us in danger. Of course, that stuff upsets us. But I just hope that this is, you know, just a tale for a lot of others to really think twice, you know, before you get involved in these kinds of road rage type incidents, or before you let your emotions overcome your better judgment. All you needed was her license plate. And even to the extent that you followed her home, all you needed was the address. You didn't need any more. You didn't have to have the conversation. You didn't have to yell at her. You didn't have to get her to concede that she had done you wrong and hit your bike. Let the insurance company and the police officers deal with who was right and who was wrong. It's not worth a life, even if it's not yours and it was hers. It's not worth it. Thank you, Philip. Good, good insight there. So before we move on to our next case, we're going to take a quick break because we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. Philip, our next case is equally as insane. A Newark, New Jersey police officer is accused of running down and killing a pedestrian on the side of the highway on Halloween night. And the reason we're talking about it now is because it's taken some time for the charges. And we'll get to that as well. So he allegedly left the scene, then came back to pick up the body of the victim, tossed the body in the back of his car, then drove to his family's house nearby to discuss with his mother what to do. Okay? How crazy is this? Then he returns to the scene to try and put the body back because that's his mother's advice. Put the body back. Oh, All right. So far, the and he was off duty. The off duty officer 
the passenger in his car and his mother are all facing charges now, okay? Very different situation here. Everyone's facing charges. Let's get into the details of this. I know this is a big case. You're out of New York, and this has been making all the news headlines there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So according to the New Jersey State Police, at about 3 a.m. on November 1st, so that would have been, you know, following Halloween night on the 31st, so it's we in the morning, in the area of Montclair and Nutley, New Jersey, so again, tail end of Halloween, 25-year-old off-duty Newark police officer Louis Santiago is driving back from a local bar. In his car is his friend, 25-year-old Albert Guzman. They're on the Garden State Parkway. And officer, off-duty, officer Luis Santiago hits a pedestrian who is walking alongside the road on the shoulder. The victim is identified as a 29-year-old nurse. Damien Dimka of Garfield, New Jersey. At first, the cop claims he thought he hit a deer. And there are a lot of deer in this area without question. Absolutely. A lot of deer. But when he realized that he hit a man, his attorney, his defense attorney, has said that he decided the best thing he could do was to put the man that he hit in the back of his car to help get him aid. This is the story that the defense attorney is telling. Okay. Hello, does no one know how to call 911? Um, you remember the discussion we were just having about going back and thinking through your client's decisions and how I just had to stop doing it, right? Mm-hmm. As the defense attorney, yes, you love that part of being able to say, oh, I have a reason for why clearly my client put the you know body in the car. He wanted to make sure that this person could be rendered aid. He wanted to get him to the hospital. But as you're about to explain, Anna, nobody went to the hospital here. I'll let you go back and take the lead. Unbelievable. Nobody called 911. And there is absolutely no proof that any aid was rendered at all. And as a cop, right, as a cop, you are a first responder. You call the paramedics or you render the aid. Unbelievable. Or if you're going to call one of your parents, call your dad. That's actually the cop. (laughs) As opposed to your mom who gave you some terrible advice. And now you have her caught up in all these charges as well. And frankly, rightfully so. I mean, it, it, it's sad, but like she deserved to be charged just as much as him and, you know, the passenger. This is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It, re- it really is. So according to court records, Santiago and Guzman put the dead nurse in his car and they drive to the cop's family home. Apparently his mother, Annette Santiago, said to her son, upon seeing the situation, put the body back where you hit it. This is what Annette declares at three in the morning. Put the body back where you hit it. Like he came home with some stolen candy or, you know, something along those, I mean, it being Halloween night or what have you, but this is a little bit different. You know, at this point, you now essentially have a cadaver in the back seat. Wrong advice, mom. Right. Wrong put advice. him back, right? And she even, according to court records, she even gave her son a towel to clean the blood off himself. Tidy up a bit, would you? Okay. So then prosecutors say that he, the cop, then traveled back to the scene with Damien's body still in the car. And it was at about the same time that Luis Santiago's father, who is also a police officer, called... 911 and call the state troopers apparently. Santiago's father is a lieutenant in the Newark Police Department. That is the same police department that his son works at. Okay. So the father reported this is in court records reported that his son was in an accident and apparently in the court records it is revealed that the son is was at that time really angry with his father for turning him in. Unbelievable. What are you going to do with Damien? Damien is dead in the back of the car. What in the world do you think you're going to do with this poor man? What about his family? 
I don't know. And, 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 and for the purposes of just I'm here with you, you and I are going to try to like dig into the depths of his brain, which as I'm telling you, is a practice I, I try to disengage myself from these days for my own sanity. But here's, I think, the thing that kills me. I mean, if we really want to be frank about just my having, you know, taken this story in, it is playing big here in New York. You know, the Garden State Parkway is dangerous just driving on it, okay? You know, it, it's it's the Autobahn West, we can so to say, right? And so in that respect, to the extent that you're walking on it at three in the morning, we talk about having, you know, just justifications for actions and having defenses there would be not many people that would have a hard time looking at what happened with respect to Santiago and saying it wasn't your fault until he started the cover up, right? Like it's understandable if you hit someone walking on a very dark highway, a highway that we all know is just like ridiculous in terms of like the drivers and just the way in which it's set out, there would be no issue if he just hit him, even if he just stayed there. Right. Even if he didn't take the body to go to the hospital and maybe people would have said, hey, you should have taken him to the hospital. Even if he just stayed right there, it would have been fine. You would have had a narrative that you could live with that would be believable that, you know, could potentially not be had you caught up in the mess that you're caught up in with your mom and your passenger now. Right. But he didn't do that. And what do they always say? Like the cover up is worse than the crime. Right. Where here there may not even have been one. So here's what it really leads me to think, Anna particularly as a law enforcement officer, he's always going to have the benefit of doubt, right? Particularly in that situation, 3 a.m., right. you know, person walking on highway. What would make you think that you had to take the body home? So I don't know if all the toxicologies have come out yet, but was he concerned about some substances that may have been in his system, particularly if they weren't alcohol? You know, was it marijuana? Was it cocaine? And I'm not saying that I know that, but just my history and experience in terms of like trying cases like this it would just lead me to believe that there was something that he was nervous about at that time that even if he hadn't committed a crime he knew that an investigation into what had happened would potentially bring things to light that maybe he just didn't want to be found out so in lieu of going that route he goes home to ask his mom for advice which was a terrible decision um you got her caught up in this you know the man died it, it's 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 really sad but i i think there's something else going on here that will come to light over the course of this investigation. I agree with you, Philip, because NewJersey.com has been reporting that um, prosecutors suspect that he may have been intoxicated, that the cop may have been drinking. We do know he's admitted to coming from a local bar at three in the morning. So NewJersey.com is quoting uh, police sources and the prosecutor's office saying, oh, they believe that he was allegedly intoxicated and may have been texting and was distracted when this happened. Now, the defense attorney for the cop is saying that the victim here, Damien, was wearing a werewolf costume because it was Halloween. It is unclear why he was on the side of the of the of the highway, the Garden State Parkway. Either way, either way, there were a million ways to handle this, right? And yeah. if we were not intoxicated and we were not distracted, uh, the chances are probably much higher that Damien would have survived, right? We're, again, we don't know all the details here. I, I find this very intriguing because according to the court records, Santiago, before he met the cops back at the scene with poor Damien in the back of the car, deleted text messages and phone calls from his phone before he turned over his phone to police because you know that police were going to ask for his phone. Right. He's a cop. Right. And I don't know, ultimately, we don't know what kind of phone he had. Did he have an iPhone? Did he have an Android? But, you know, certainly those phone records are going to be pulled. You know, sometimes with respect to the iMessages, when you delete those, you know, those are very difficult uh, to be recovered later on. Um, but to the extent that he sent like any MMS messages or anything along those lines, you know, for the most part, they're going to end up being able to read what it was that he deleted. I'd be very interested if those texts come out, you know, to kind of see ultimately what was in his mind at the time and what he was telling others, whether it was his mom or whomever. I mean, who knows? We may see some of the text messages that maybe he was texting his dad at the time, too. We have no idea, you know, but there's just something not 
right here because he didn't have to do what he did to escape any liability. Even if he was texting and you end up hitting someone on the side of the road, there's still a good chance you can avoid liability just because to the extent that you're in a werewolf costume at three in the morning on the side of the road, you're kind of asking to get hit by somebody, whether they're texting or not. But to the extent that you're intoxicated, other kinds of things that could go to like the core of his job and his career, that to me, just having kind of seen these kinds of cases before, that underlies, I think, a lot of just the dumb decision making that he made at the time. Plus the fact that he may just have been intoxicated. <laughs> you know right. I mean? Yeah, that's probably it. Decisions. Clearly not thinking straight, because what I don't get is as horrific as the possibility of a hit and run, right? He could have left the scene. He could have left the scene and left poor Damien there. The, my question is, why pick him up and move him and take him? It only makes things even worse, I think. It's bad no matter what. Damien is dead, and there is no bringing him back. And, and if indeed he was intoxicated as court records allege, and if he was distracted on top of it, right. I mean, really? It's just made everything so much worse. So here are the charges. Last week, the Essex County Prosecutor's Office announced the following charges against Santiago. Reckless vehicular homicide, leaving the scene of a crash resulting in death, endangering an injured victim, desecrating and moving human remains, hindering one's own apprehension, conspiracy to hinder prosecution, tampering with physical evidence, obstructing the administration of law and two counts of official misconduct. His passenger, Albert Guzman, was charged, and so was um, the cop's mom, Annette. And Guzman and Annette have the exact same charges. Conspiracy to desecrate human remains, hindering apprehension, conspiracy to hinder apprehension, and tampering with physical evidence. You know, the one thing we haven't discussed, but that's important, and I bet probably for the rest of Santiago's life would eat at him, we don't know at exactly what time the death occurred, right? So what if there was a situation where if you would have gotten him into the car, no matter what your condition was, physical, like what have you, if you would have gotten into the car and actually gotten him to a hospital and he survived, right? You'd be in a totally different boat. Maybe you'd still have some of these issues with respect to your career if they were to find out that you were intoxicated. But those are the kinds of things like police officers have overcome. They've overcome DUIs. They've over, I mean, not even just police officers, just people, right? Right. Like you don't necessarily have to lose your career over something like that, even if you hit someone. But to the extent that we're now we're dealing with a death, it was just a bad decision because maybe you could have saved his life, let alone just your career. You could have saved his life. And, um, you know, unfortunately, your terrible decision making that night has you in this position, but also is an inference of probably something wasn't fully right with you up here because you just weren't sober. Let's just be frank. You know, you weren't making clear-minded decisions. Oh, it just, it's, it's the strangest reaction to a situation to grab the body, take it home to your mom. I mean, it's just, uh, the thought process is, I can't figure it out. Now, the Bergen record in New Jersey reports that Santiago was suspended without pay from the New York Police Department later that day on November 1st, the same day that um, the cops finally got to the scene and, and his dad called it in. So there have been lots of questions as to why it took more than two weeks for the Essex County prosecutor to file charges. And I am going to ask you this because you're in New York. I used to be a reporter in Newark. So offices on Broad Street. <laughs> Okay. I, 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 I work the New York Police Department and the Essex County Prosecutor's Office. I hear authenticity. That is okay. Broad street, All right. We're good. We're good. Okay. So here's the thing. He's a Newark police officer. His father's a, a Newark police officer. That police department works in a many ways under the Essex County oh. Prosecutor's Office. So my question to you is, why has this not been turned over to another agency? And is it possible, is it possible that this all took so long because there was a lot of, you know, um, deference being paid to this family of cops? I mean, in terms of it not being turned over to another agency, you know, maybe at this point there just hasn't been any conflict that's been shown. I mean, it's not unheard of to have a jurisdiction prosecute an officer within that specific jurisdiction, right? I mean, what I, I think 
you know, a few years back, whenever, you know, a couple of officers in the Bronx were being prosecuted for various crimes, like it happens a lot, right? Like by the Bronx district attorney's office that uses these officers a lot, Th that happens. And so to the extent that, you know, we don't have a conflict, Essex County could hold on to the case. That being said, you know, all I can say is that if he wasn't a police officer, we all know this, but if he wasn't a police officer within that jurisdiction, okay, are, are we waiting weeks on end to have an answer to what really, even if it's not, we don't fully understand what happened, the facts that we do know is more than enough for me or you, Anna, if this would have happened. Yeah, we would have been in jail for the last few weeks. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, there, there's no decision that we're waiting on. The decision would have already been made essentially by November 2nd um, in terms of what's happening. So, you know, these kinds of things happen. It's politics. As much as we hate to admit it societally, um, you know, politics play within law enforcement. They play within, you know, executive decisions to prosecute. And there were probably a lot of those kinks that were being worked out. But politically speaking, I mean, Essex County knew that they were going to have to move forward on this regardless. I'm sure his father told him, like, look, this isn't one that we can just sweep under the rug. Maybe if you had made some other decisions, we could, mm -hmm. but right. you made some dumb decisions that night. So this isn't going to be one of those cases. You're going to have to go through the process on this. Yeah. It's a bad case to go through the process on it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, here's the thing. When the cops arrive at the scene, he's got the body in the back of his car. I mean, that's it. There's like no disputing that. <laughs> There's no, it, it, those are always the kinds of cases, you know, when we would see, you know, just officers generally come through, I'm not talking about on federal crimes, but definitely like state crimes, they would generally be one of two offenses. They would either be the DUIs, they would be the domestic violence matters, right? Or it would be something like this, where there's just no way, shape or form that anything can be done by which to sweep it out of the system and keep it out. Like this one's coming through, he's going through the process and you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And uh, just uh, you mentioned this earlier, but a blood sample was taken from Santiago on the day of the incident on November 1st. So I'm sure that um, the toxicology reports we're all waiting on. Uh, there'll be more information there. And according to the New York Daily News, Damien, who is the victim in all of this, the innocent victim in all of this, worked as a supervising nurse at the Preakness Health Care Center in Wayne, New Jersey. And he spent much of the COVID-19 pandemic on the front lines taking care of people when they were at their sickest and the risk was the highest to healthcare workers. Okay. So that is the life that he lived and that is not the way that he should have died. No, it's not. And like we said in the last matter, you know, you just, you never know what your last day is going to be. Um, but to the extent that we know that we will have one, you certainly don't want it to be like that, you know? You just, no. you just don't. Either, no. either one of these cases that we've discussed, it's just- Come on, it was Halloween, he was wearing his werewolf costume, he was out to have fun, everybody was out to have fun, and this, this turned out to be a disaster. What a disastrous night. All right, thank you, Philip. Okay, it is time for our comments section. These are the crime cases that you all are talking about on social media. Our producer, Owen Michael, is here now. And before we get to that, I just wanna share some happy news about the whole team and congratulate the whole team here at True Crime Daily. Look what I finally received yesterday. This is our award. I know it's kind of hard to see. Oh, I love that. Isn't that cool? We got an award for the podcast from the LA Press Club. And this is for our investigative report into crimes against Amish women, a very specific case that we worked really hard on. It's got more than a million views and we're very proud of that work, but this is for everyone on the entire team. And I just wanna thank everyone because we're really, really proud of this. Congratulations. Thank you, Philip. <laughs> Well-deserved. Absolutely. We couldn't have done it without you, Anna. It was uh, your strong lead on that one that uh, made it happen. The whole team. The whole team. It was a whole team effort. Really, That's really, right. um, really. We're a tiny team. <laughs> we're tiny but mighty. <laughs> but you're doing big things. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Owen, what, what kind of crazy cases have you got for us today? Uh, well, uh, Anna, nice to see you. Philip, nice to see you as well. We've Likewise. got... Uh, uh, we've got some pizza adjacent crime this week. I've got a uh, 
63-year-old man was arrested in Tennessee earlier this month after he allegedly pointed an AK-47 assault rifle at employees at a Little Caesars pizza shop about waiting too long for his pizza. Suspect reportedly was upset about the fact it would take 10 minutes to make his pizza, so he asked for free bedsticks. He reportedly went out, waited outside uh, for his food, but then he re-entered the store with an AK-47 rifle and demanded his pizza. A customer inside tried to give her pizza to the suspect to get him to leave. That was fairly selfless. That was nice. Uh, one employee who was working that night told WVLT-TV, he pointed at me saying, where is my damn pizza? I want my pizza. Honestly, fear and utter disbelief. Like I was shocked it was over a $6 pizza. Knoxville police did arrive and arrest the man. He was charged with four counts of aggravated assault and one count of especially aggravated kidnapping. That's a new one to me, especially aggravated kidnapping, but uh, under these circumstances here. UZLL says it wasn't hot and ready. Julie F said hangry, just went to a new, uh, a whole new level. Um, Blake B said $5 pizza, gonna get him five or more years. <laughs> uh, Jim B said, I bet he's loving that jail food. Oh, man. What is wrong? I love the person. I love the person in the store who tried to to give their pizza to him That's just to shut him up. Like, my man, please. It's not worth Like, again, decisions, not worth it. Seriously, bad decisions. And, uh, boy, talk about an overreaction. Uh, you know, there's never a good uh, reason to ever bring a gun into a pizza shop. But, uh, you know, an AK-47 is a serious gun. Um, <laughs> real judgment problems here. <laughs> Oh, my God. And they even gave him breadsticks just to shut up. God, man. Unbelievable. Was it worth it? No. No. Bad decisions, people. Big no. That's that's the theme today. Bad decisions. Bad decisions. Everybody, patience, step back, take a breath, reassess. No. I guess I'm going to have to, you know... Brace myself for who's going to cut in front of me today in traffic. I swear to you, in the last month, so many people have cut in front of me, and they do that whole backseas thing that drives me crazy. You know how when you were a kid waiting in line at the, for the water fountain at school, and the kid cuts in front of you, and then the other kid wants to cut in front, but instead the one who cut in front of you says, no, but you can cut behind me. You know, they do the whole backseat thing. <laughs> it's like one cuts in, and then the other one tries to ram in. It's like, what is wrong with people? This is I'm why sorry. I needed to bend. Home. Yeah, exactly. This is this is the kind of stuff that escalates. So uh, yeah, you know, better to have patience and get there a little late. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally. Thanks, Owen. Good seeing you. Bye, guys. See you next week. Good to see you, Owen. You too. Well, that is our episode for this week, Philip. Thank you so much for joining us. Such a pleasure always. Anna, thanks so much for having me. You know, I'm always here anytime. I love it. I love it. The guys from New York, as we call them. Say hi to Lance, your partner. <laughs> Absolutely. Seeing him a little bit later. So I'll, I'll definitely tell him I had the pleasure of spending the afternoon with Anna. So where can people find you and follow you on social media or if they need attorneys in New York? Absolutely. I mean, best place always is to find us at the website, HamiltonClarkLLP.com. And in Clark, there's an E at the end of Clark. You can find me on social media, ESQ Hamilton. Uh, look forward to hearing from all of you. Love it. Love it. Love it. You can always follow me at Anna G News everywhere. And I've been doing a bunch of updates, everyone, especially on Instagram on a 30-year-old cold case of a missing child that I covered 30 years ago. And we keep getting a bunch of leads on it. So I'm doing a lot of updates on social media. And, and it's just, gosh, I, I really appreciate everyone's help. I really appreciate everyone's help. I think together we can figure these things out. Okay, so remember, you can find other episodes of our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and sign up to receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, I'm Anna Garcia, your host. And as we always say, don't do crime.